Well, let's get into today's message. So um, we've been in this series called What's Next? And the three areas within this series have been looking at the idea of knowing God, finding freedom, making a difference. And the thinking behind uh, doing this series has basically been, as we go through life, there are times when we can just feel a little bit deflated, a little bit um, like we're stalling when it comes to our faith journey, whether you've been a Christian for a few weeks, a few months, a few years, decades, that we just hit patches where we just sort of go, ah, things get into a bit of autopilot. So the heart behind this series has been, okay, well, let's look at a few things that can sort of get us thinking again how we engage in our faith in different ways. So we started off by looking at this idea of knowing God. How is it that we actually know God? And there are three things that we had a look at. We looked at the idea of baptism. We get to see God at work in someone else's life, and that encourages us. We talked about prayer. We can talk to God. God can communicate with us. And we talked about the Bible, being able to look at the chosen history of God interacting with humanity, the stories from the Old Testament. We get the, uh, the stories of Jesus and the un- unfolding of the, of the early church through the New Testament. Then we had a look over the last couple of weeks of this idea of finding freedom. Freedom is not defined as doing what I want when I want. Uh, it's actually, from God's perspective, something which we get to discover is about loving boundaries, about how can we love God and love other people. And there's so much we can do in that space if we define freedom in those terms. And last week we looked at the idea that finding freedom is about, or one way we can find freedom, is to not expect perfection from people or from ourselves, but to actually live honestly. We looked at the story of King David and the story of, uh, of Adam and Eve in that space. And today we want to have a look at making a difference. And we're starting off this week looking at, uh, at the mindset behind Jesus and how he operated on earth. And next week we're going to look at some practicalities about how can you and I make a difference by participating in God's work here on earth. So let's get into it. I don't like losing things. Now, can we all agree losing things is not fun? It's not fun at all. Um, I'll, I'll give you a bit of insight into my marriage with Manuel uh, for a second. Um, when it comes to losing things, Manel has an assumption, which is fair from an outside perspective, that everything I own is essentially lost. There are no systems. There is no thought pattern. Now, that's from an outside perspective. But in here, everything is where it should be, vaguely, in a system that sort of works. A couple of weeks ago, um, we needed a quote part of our fence fell down. I had to go and give the quote to the neighbor. Um, uh, and she said, I said to her, where's the quote? And she looked at me with a look and said, it's just lost. Where, where is it? Who knows where this thing could be? And I thought to myself, I'm like, hang on a second. That's right. I went and I found it. And mine was like, I don't know how you do it. Because you have no systems, you have no methodology, and somehow you know where everything is. And I'm like, yes, except for when it isn't there. <laughs> There are just some problems. But I know where stuff is vaguely some of the time. But what I want to say is this. When it comes to losing things, my frustration level when I've lost something and genuinely lost it or, or think I've lost it until I find it again, my, my frustration level is tied directly to the value of which that object has to me. If I lost a piece of clothing, eh, I've got more clothing. I don't care about clothing. If I lost the car keys, oh, need to get places. If I lost my AirPods, oh, I'd panic then. Um, we had a, a couple of, uh, last month I had a competition with, with a friend and uh, the punishment if, if I lost in the competition was that I'd have to give up my AirPods for a weekend. I was sweating bullets. Well, I've got to win, I've got to win, I've got to win, I've got to win. 
I need to listen to my music and my podcast and my audiobooks. Anyway, when you and I value something, we don't like losing it. So we protect it, which is an understandable response. If we, if we value something, we want to make sure that we have it with us at all times. And we want to hold on to it. When it comes to key relationships, maybe it's a family member, a spouse or a friend. When it comes to objects we purchase, maybe for you it is clothes. You enjoy that sort of stuff. Maybe it's a house, your car, your phone, TV. When it comes to hobbies that we invest in, because hobbies are an investment, uh, whether it's sport, art, writing, op shopping, whatever your hobby is. Um, or maybe it's memories. Memories is a big one, isn't it? I pay 15 bucks a month to make sure that all my memories are stored on the cloud, which should not fail, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Because um, I want to make sure that all my memories, my videos, my photos are there to look back on. Because those things that you and I value, we want to make sure that we understand and that we have them within our grasp. So, if Jesus was to value something, it stands to reason that we would add what Jesus values into our life. If you're a follower of Jesus, if, you, if he's changed your life and you are living as a disciple of his, then what we value gets shaped by Jesus. But also, if we see something that Jesus values, then we bring it into what we value. We bring it in and treat it as something which is valuable to us. So then the question is, what does Jesus value? What does he value? Now, there's a few things uh, that we can come to the answer on what he values. When you look at the, the four different perspectives of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he highlights a, a bunch of issues, a range of issues of which he cares about. But the thing which keeps coming up again and again and again and again is that he values people. The parables I read out before, the lost sheep, the lost coin, but then he goes into the lost son. When he talks to the crowds and then he goes and spends time with his disciples, his concern is not about whether he did a good job. His concern is not about whether he pleased the people in power. His concern was about how he can love people. And that doesn't mean that he just went around and just said to everyone, you're fine, you're okay, everything's good. Jesus had tough moments like when the rich young ruler came to him and Jesus looked at him. It says in the Bible, Jesus looked at him and loved him and then gave him a tough message. So Jesus wasn't someone who's was just going around and valuing people and loving them in a wishy-washy way. He was going around looking at them, seeing their deep need, and he met them at their point of need. Now, for the religious leaders, their point of need was to understand that life is more than just having the status quo keep going. Jesus recognized that the system that they had had some faults and wasn't really reflecting where God wanted to be heading with the whole operation. So he was trying to meet them at their point of need to show them it's bigger than just making sure the temple's still running. And when he went out to the crowds, to the people who were diseased, who were poor, who were vulnerable, he went and he met them at their point of need and he gave them sight and he healed them and he loved them and he gave them food. Because their need was not to be told what's right and what's wrong. Their need was to be looked at and to be loved. And to be brought into a new understanding that God is for them. In the same way God is for the religious leaders of the day. God, he was trying to come and say God is for all of you, but you all have different need. And so Jesus comes into the story of history and he comes and shows us that God, in my opinion, he values people. He values you. He values me. He values us so much that he actually went and he died so that we can have everlasting life. Mark 10, 45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. For me, that is one of the key scriptures for understanding how Jesus chose to operate while on earth. Jesus had the authority of God. He had the perspective of God. He had everything at his disposal. And he didn't come into earth and just start to go, you're wrong, you're wrong, here's what you need to do. He didn't start to call down angels upon angels to enforce the new kingdom. He chose to enter as a baby, vulnerable, young, no brains yet, still learning. And he came into the story of history and he, and he grew up and he matured into a man. And he had all of this resource at his disposal, but what he chose to do instead was to go around and meet people at their point of need, to love them, to serve people. Now, if there was anyone in all of history who had the right to rock up to a group of people and say, you need to serve me, it's Jesus. Because who gives the people the breath that they have to live? Who gives us the resource so that we can do what we do? Who's the one that holds everything together? It's him. So if Jesus rocked up into the story of history, he's the one who people should be able to go, wow, thank you so much. You're amazing. How can I serve you? Because of you, we are. But does he do that? No. And in fact, when people tried to recognize him early on, you see this in the book of Mark, when they tried to say who he was, he said, not yet, not yet. When crowds gathered around him, when crowds gathered around him and they saw him for what he could do and what he could bring to them and they wanted him to stay and to heal and give and give and give, Jesus said, hang on, I'm going to go over here now because that's where I need to be. When he was getting adulation and love and everything, he was wise enough, knowing what was coming, to be able to go, this praise is not for me. It's for me and it's great because you're receiving something, but I'm actually not here to just receive, receive, receive. I'm actually here to give something. And the great thing that he gave us was his life, yes, but he also gave us his example. And his example was one of continual service, continual love, continual meeting people at the point of need. One of the great things I think about the Jesus movement in history is that Jesus' leadership journey of serving and not wanting just to be served actually shows us why the Jesus movement continued when he left the earth. Because when Jesus left the earth, by all accounts, it would have been very easy for those first followers and first people who were part of his movement to just sort of go, oh, well, that happened. It would have been very easy for his followers to sort of go, oh, what should we do now? It would have been very easy for them to be, um, to be tainted by outside influences. And in fact, most of the New Testament writing is about how to fight back on those influences. But the reason that the Jesus movement went beyond when Jesus was there was because he didn't set it up around himself. He set it up around himself in terms of him being the center of it all, but how it was acted out, he did not have to be in the room. 2,000 years later, we're still gathering in the name of Jesus because Jesus doesn't have to physically be here as a person. He's with us and he gave us the Holy Spirit and he taught us to walk daily with the Spirit and to be able to live a life which honors God. He showed us all of that, but he gave away responsibility again and again and again. And one of the greatest things about the way Jesus led was that he gave away responsibility and when people stuffed up, he didn't give up on them. He taught them. He sat down and looked them in the eye and said, well, that didn't quite work, did it? 
One of the greatest stories of redemption we have in the New Testament is with Peter. What does Peter do when Jesus is getting arrested? Denies. Denies him. And then what does Jesus do as a response to the denial that Peter did? He put him in charge of the church. If there was someone who shouldn't have been in charge of the church, it should probably be the person who didn't believe in it. But Jesus comes to Peter and he sees something there. And he says, go and feed my sheep. In fact, he says it to him three times. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Peter at this point is like, I love you. Are we, are we on repeat here? What's going on? But it's a restoration of Jesus trying to show him that there's more to you than your failure. And then he puts him in charge of it and he allows him to go. And because of that, the early church grows. Jesus shared responsibility with his disciples. He taught them with real life situation. There's a reason they talk in the parables about, um, you know, they talk about a mustard seed. They talk about sheep. They talk about, um, what's the stuff that goes into dough to make it rise? Yeast. <laughs> they talk about yeast. You guys bake. I don't bake. Um, puts yeast in there. Um, there's a reason he's talking about these things. Because they're what they're living. They know gardening. They know agriculture. They know shepherding and sheeping. They know yeast and baking. They know that. If Jesus was to rock up today and he was to retell the parables, it would probably, probably be a bit more technology and a bit of different views now. He would use different stories because he used what was around and available at the time to show them part of God's kingdom. And he showed the disciples again and again that God loves people. He values people. He values people. So, what does this mean to you and to me? Steph, I left the clicker back there. Can you go to slide four? Thank you. What does this mean to you and to me? Now, I'm going to make the assumption looking at the parables that we just did today, looking at Luke chapter 15, looking at some of the themes that we find through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, is that part of Jesus' mission when he came here was to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to show humanity that there is a restoring relationship with God which you and I can participate in if we follow him. He came so that all of, those of us, all of us who are outside of a relationship with God could be restored back to it. I've talked a little bit over the last few months about the story of Adam and Eve because it's just so amazingly rich. Now, I don't care whether you believe it was true or not. That's not what I'm worried about. When the story of Adam and Eve, what I'm worried about is that we see God creating, God bringing together, and God wanting, and this is a very important part, a relationship with you and with me. God created Adam and Eve. He brought them into relationship and he said, let's do this together. And isn't that a beautiful image that we have is that God didn't create and step back. God didn't create and go, well, let's see how this rolls on and to see where the dice land. God didn't create and just go, eh, and start again. He tried to start again with Noah, but didn't quite work. So he changed his game plan. Anyway, But with Adam and Eve, we see that there was a point where humanity and God were where they were meant to be, together in relationship. 
And when Jesus comes onto the scene, it's like he's looking around and he sees the brokenness in the world, the sin in the world, the heartbreak, the heartache and the vulnerable in the world. And he's going, this isn't right. And he doesn't come, he doesn't fix everything. Because if you follow the conclusion, the logical conclusion of how does God fix everything, he needs to get rid of sin. Okay, well, that means he needs to get rid of us. Jesus instead comes along and says, I'm going to show you a better way to live. I'm going to show you how you can follow God. And I'm going to do even better than that. I'm going to die so that one day when you die and you come face to face with God, he's going to look at you. He's not going to see your past wrongdoing. He's aware of it, but he's going to choose not to see that. God's going to choose to see the life of Jesus, blameless, sinless, perfect, so that you can have everlasting life. So God, so Jesus values those who are far from him. Those who are far from him. So go to slide five there, Steph. So what I want to propose to us this morning is that the way Jesus chose to lead and to show his love and the fact that he valued people is that he did it in a very specific way. He did something which we call servant leadership and it's something which he invites you and me to participate in now you may not think of yourself as a leader but if you follow any of John Maxwell's stuff he says that what is leadership it's influence and all of us we may not be the leader of corporations or the leader of great big things this that and the other we may just be just the the pleb of the the workspace whatever it might be but the point is that all of us have influence with somebody It might be with a spouse, with a child, with a parent, with a friend, with a co-worker. We all have influence. And we're all around somebody who listens to us and who is influenced by what we have to say. So I want to say that the best thing we can do for those of us who follow Jesus is to take on the servant style of leadership that Jesus exercised. Um, one of the things I love to do on YouTube is I love to go and watch a uh, certain like spectrum of religious ideologies to try and s- to see what's out there. And YouTube's amazing for this because back in the day, I'd have to look at somebody and sort of assume something about their faith or belief system. These days, I can go on to YouTube and they'll just tell me. It's awesome. They'll even give me the dot points and everything and explain it from their perspective. And one of the things that I keep coming into again and again when I look at different uh, different styles of Christianity, (laughs) different ways people express their Christian experience, um, is that the thing that keeps coming up again and again when people talk about leadership is it's across the board in this space is that the best approach is the servant style of leadership. The thing that they, people love Jesus for was that he wasn't someone who was just a big look at me ego type. He was someone who came and actually practiced what he preached. It was even better than that. He taught what he practiced. You know how he says practice what you preach? It should be Preach what you practice. That's the better way to think of it. Don't ever preach about stuff you're doing. Anyway, um, it comes up again and again. People love Jesus for it. I was watching a YouTube channel, uh, a YouTube video yesterday, and the guy was saying, I don't like Christianity. I don't like the idea that Jesus is God, but you cannot deny, this is what he said, you cannot deny the fact that Jesus taught some amazing ways to lead. Isn't that incredible? Even people who are nothing like Jesus like the way Jesus operated. And we see that in the parable as well in Luke chapter 15. Tax collectors and notorious sinners, people who are nothing like Jesus, still liked Jesus. There's something about him. There's something about him. So he invites us into having a mindset 
of a servant leader. And one of the things which comes up again and again that I find when I read the Bible anyway is that you can't love Jesus and choose not to serve other people. For me, one of the things that makes Christianity so hard is the fact that we have to love other people even when they aren't that lovable. Um, there's a website called Reddit and there's just has a bunch of information and stuff. One of the subreddits that were on there was talking about this um, a nurse who cared for somebody who was elderly and who was approaching the end of their life and the nurse discovered that this person had um, abused people in the past horrifically. And the nurse was just saying um, on this forum, she was saying, I had to learn a lot about God's grace because my job was to love this person and to serve them well. But when I knew who they were and what they'd done, something inside of me said, I don't want to. And so I commented on it and I said, oh, thank you. So I commented on it and I thought, um, and I commented back and said, that's, a, that's really insightful. The fact that you're able to recognize within yourself there's something that's blocking you from being able to love this person and wrestling with that. to recognize that people aren't always easy to love. And Jesus comes along and says, but I loved you. I gave you a chance. You can't accept the love that I have to give and then not extend it to somebody else because guess what? I love them as well. I didn't just die for you, Josh. I didn't just die for those who have said yes already. I died for the world. I died so that everyone has a chance to come back into right relationship with me. And I want people to come back into right relationship with me. So the challenge for us who have already accepted him is how do we then go and love other people because we have been loved, even when they are hard to love. Because we're all hard to love on one level, aren't we? Let's bring this to an end. This is the question I want to leave you with today. I'll explain it in just a second. But for me, this is one of the, the greatest questions to ask. He says, how can I leverage who I am and what I have for you, for the other person? And the reason this question is so powerful is because it's not about meeting a standard. It's about accepting that you have something to give. If you follow Jesus, you have been gifted. You have been called. Even if you have no resource in terms of money or in terms of um, worldly wealth, you have something of wisdom or something of yourself, your time, your energy, your attention. You have something that you can give to other people. So the question is, how can we or how can I leverage who I am and what I have for another person? Because if I was to try and imagine a world in which leadership was driven by care for the other person, I would think of, it'd be the example of Jesus. Could you imagine a world where decision-making and policy creation was not about how to get more money or how to make sure you were the biggest ego in the room or how to make sure that your particular belief system was in charge? If you had a system that was set up in which people went, okay, I have something of worth to give. How can I give that to other people? Because if you look at the life of Jesus, the religious leaders who were in charge of the system that he was born into, they wanted him to confirm to their concerns and their issues. They looked at Jesus and said, you are a rabbi, you're a teacher, and you need to think this way. The Romans, who were in charge of the entire world at that point, uh, they wanted him to just keep the peace. 
The Romans were like, we don't care what you believe or what you do, but just don't make trouble, please, because we're trying to rule things here, so stay in line. The people of Jesus' time looked at him and what he could do, and they wanted him to be with them and to heal them and to feed them and to make them comfortable and to make sure that their lives were made better or made right. And then you had Jesus' family. One of the most understated things I've heard preached on before, as in I haven't heard much in this before, is around family of Jesus. Jesus' family just wanted him to play along with what was expected. They were looking at him going, what is he on about? Now they come later on and James, the brother of Jesus, ends up leading part of the movement, rightly so. If you think about it, if your brother or sister claimed to be the son or daughter of God and then died and rose again, it's a pretty big proof for you. So for the fact that James, one of the biggest things for me that I go, huh, the resurrection, James, the brother of Jesus, the one who, if anything, if I had a sibling who claimed to die and rise again, I would be suspicious. But he goes and he joins the movement. He was a part of it. He was around it. He saw it and then he met him again. And he went, wow, this is real. Family, Jesus just wanted him to play along. And Jesus stood up and said, actually, no. Jesus said, no. He said to the religious leaders and the people in charge, I'm going to love people and I'm going to really love them. And I'm going to show everyone that the way you love other people is actually how you show your love for God. One of the things Jesus does with the religious system of the day, he says, I don't care how much you pray, how much you read your Bible, how much you give. If you cannot love the people that I have created, if you cannot love the people beside you, then that stuff's for nothing. You've got to love people. You've got to really love them. Jesus says to, to his family and to the Romans in charge and to all of them, he says, don't worry about what other people do. Focus on your own side of the fence. I love this about Jesus. The story we get is before you take the speck out of your neighbors, take the log out of your own eye. Yep. Um, get your life right before you go judge. How about you just stay concerned with your life before you start going around trying to tell other people how to live? And one of the things I love that Jesus says is he says that your value is not something tied to what you can provide. It's actually something that's been already given to you. Your value is not your economic output. It's not how well or how popular or how relationally well you do. Your value is tied to the fact that you have been created by God. And I love you. That's what he says. That's what Jesus communicates to us. And what he communicates again and again is that he wants us to be in a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. And he does one better. He doesn't just say, you should know God and you should love God. Jesus says, okay, you should know him and you should love him. And here is how you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He goes and he says, here's how you should view money. You got to give to, you got to pay your taxes. You got to do your things. You got you to make sure that money doesn't control you. He comes and he says that there is a way to face your worries and your burdens. Stop trying to hold on to them. Give them to me. And then he says in the most beautiful image of love, even though it's also the grossest in one way. Here's how much God loves you. I'm going to die so that you don't have to. So you can have a restored relationship with God now and forever. So our response to all of that, I think, can be summed up in this question. 
If, this is, if that is everything Jesus has done for us, he has shown us how to live and he has lived in a way which puts us in right relationship with God. And the question is not, thank you, now I'm going to go live my life. The question is, thank you, now how can I go and show and tell and give that to other people? You've made such a difference in my life, Jesus. How can I give that to somebody else? And I think the way that we can do that to really make a difference in our world is to ask this question. What's in my hands? What's in my story? What resources do I have? What giftings and skills do I have? What can I leverage of who I am or what I have in my possession so that other people can be shown the love of Jesus? And that's how you make a difference. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. I just want to pray right now that you will show us again and in fresh ways that we have something of value to give. And Lord, may you equip us to give it away. You showed us that you valued people. Help us to love people. You showed us that you value hard work. You value all these things that, that make sense to live a good life. But we just want to copy how you did it. Not necessarily always what you did. And the way that you did it, Jesus, was that you did it in a servant-hearted leadership kind of way. So for those of us in the room, for those of us who are online, help us, Jesus, to have a servant-hearted approach, to care for other people, to leverage who we are and what we have so that we can bring glory to you. In your name and for your glory. Amen.